have your Bibles tonight, I invite your attention to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1, and then we'll be going to the New Testament, to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter number 5, we'll begin with the book of Isaiah, chapter number 1, verse 18, and everybody say praise the Lord. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow, and though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. If you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. We'll read verse 19 again. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Willing and obedient. Go with me to Acts, Acts chapter 5, verse 27. back up to verse 26. Everybody feel good in the Lord tonight? Amen. Acts 5, 26, then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. 27, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straight, straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Isn't that an awesome thing to be accused of? That they were so passionate about preaching Jesus and witnessing and evangelizing their city that it filled the whole city with their doctrine. It's my desire and certainly certainly what I've been praying for and I hope you've been praying the same that this city could be filled with this apostolic doctrine. That everybody could know that not only God loves them but he's got an experience for them. That they can be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of their sins, and they too can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I want this city to be filled with this doctrine. Can you say praise the Lord? He said, you fill Jerusalem with your doctrine and intent to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God. We ought to obey God rather than man. Turn around to somebody and say, we ought to obey God. And I want to I just preach by the help of the Lord or teach a little bit here tonight. To obey is better. To obey is better. Would you lift up your voices with me? Let's pray once again, not only that... The Lord would help and touch us tonight, but he would anoint his word to make a lasting impact upon our heart. Jesus, I'm praying, God, right now that your word would find a place in every heart tonight to take root and to come to fruition and to be fruitful, God, in all of our hearts. I pray, God, your word to stir us up, to move upon us, God, tear down things that the enemy's trying to build up and strengthen things that God is trying to erect in our lives. And I pray it in the name of Jesus and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. To obey is better. Immediately when the uh, word obedience is mentioned, if we are completely sincere, there's a part of us that cringes and recalls the very mentioning of this word. 
We recoil from this term because we are aware of the ramifications that it represents. It means self-abasement. It means self-denial. It means surrender of self-will. Yet we cannot excuse the fact that without exception, every notable miracle that transpires in the Word of God includes this essential element. Leading up to that miracle, somewhere in the equation before that miracle took place, it seems like obedience was Abraham was obedient to the Lord Isaac, and God gave him a miracle of provision. Israel was careful to obey even to the most minute detail what God required in the first Passover. He told them how to sacrifice the lamb, what to do with the blood of the lamb, where to put the blood of the lamb. So that when the death angel came, then, and as a result, we know that one of the greatest vital deliverances and miracles took place. Not only in their deliverance from Egypt, they came out after 30 years. from the window she was faithful to do that and her whole household was saved when judgment came to Jericho it is consistently clear that God's favor, blessing and power was and is released through the act of obedience as you move or step into the New Testament the same story continues the same virtue is rewarded time over again Jesus said to a group of lepers he instructed them to go show themselves to the priest and the Bible says as they went in obedience to his command because he didn't come to to contradict the law he came to fulfill the law the scripture says and the law said that only the priest the high priest could make them clean or pronounce them clean so that they could be in the public again and so that they could have fellowship with friends and family again. So the priest had the authority to do that. And he said, go show yourself to the priest. And the scripture says that as they went, they beheld the places on their body where this leprosy had once been. And they noticed that they had been healed. They had been cleansed of this plague of leprosy as they went in obedience to the word of the Lord. Jesus said to another that was blind after he had placed mud in his eye sockets, he said, go wash in the pool. And he went and he washed and he received his sight. He said to another, arise and take up your bed and walk. And as he began to follow the command of the Lord, strength came to his crippled limbs. He was able to fulfill that command. He was able to walk. He told them at Lazarus' tomb to roll away the stone. Then he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, who had been there dead for several days, was resurrected. But first somebody had to fulfill and be obedient to the command of the Lord to roll away the stone. He told the servants at the wedding of Canaan, said fill the water pots with water fill them to the brim and the scripture says that they did exactly that and when they served that this water was turned into the best wine not just wine but the best wine that they had served all night 
we can conclude by just a simple perusal of the Bible that obedience is truly better. It does not require an in-depth study. It's not really debatable. We're not talking about something that we need some type of uh, spiritual illumination or spiritual revelation to be able to see it in the Word of God. It's just there. It's clear. It's easy to see and read in the Scripture. If you objectively study it, you'll see it. It's undeniable the fact, according to the Word of God, that obedience is better. Yet with all of its benefits and with all of its potential blessing, obedience is such a challenge and a struggle for folks sometimes. Because even when it's to our detriment, even when it's to our destruction and it's not for our good, self likes to call the shots. Anybody admit that's true? Self likes to be in control. A very stirring story comes to us out of the 15th chapter of 1 Samuel. God says in verse, verses 2 and 3 through the prophet Samuel to King Saul, who was the king of Israel, now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, oxen and sheep and camel and ass. This was God's directive. This was God's specifics that he wanted obeyed. And this is what he told King Saul to do. It was a simple command, he said, to destroy the Amalekites, to annihilate them completely. Don't leave one of them alive. Don't only slay the adults, but I want you to slay their progenity. I, I want you to slay all of them. I don't want a, there to be a chance that this, this seed could continue to live and they could regroup and become a nation and a threat to Israel again. I totally want this enemy annihilated. I want them destroyed. And initially it appears that King Saul is going to comply with God's commands. He did plan and mount an attack against the Amalekites, and he did slay the majority of them. It does appear to the casual observer that he did exactly what God commanded, and he didn't do anything to the contrary, do anything wrong. He did not totally rebel, but he was not completely obedient either. And he decides in the heat of the battle to spare King Agag, which was the king of the Amalekites, and the beast, or the best of the sheep rather, and the cattle, the oxen, and the fatlings, and of the lambs, and all that was good. But you see, Saul got in trouble when he started allowing human logic to decide what was good and what was evil. He got in trouble when in the heat of the battle he did not follow through with God's commands completely. I, I, I think I can handle this. This, this looks alright to me. Pastor, I don't see anything wrong with it. You see, Samuel was, by all intents and purposes, his pastor, pastor, I think I can, I can deal with this. I can handle this on my own. I know what you preached. I know what you said that God told you to say. But I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this on my own, or I, I think I've got this one. So you don't really have the ability and the heat of the battle to discern what is good and what is evil. Because really only God can decide. Only God can declare what is good and what is evil. Don't get in the midst of the battle and change horses as Saul did in the midst of the stream. When you make battle plans, when God gives you a directive, when God shows you what you need to do, when God pinpoints something in your life, you need to follow through with that mission. You need to follow through with God's commands. Don't get in the heat in the battle heat of the battle and change your mind. I've often said that the very worst time for a person to make a life-altering decision 
is when they're, they're in the throes of spiritual struggle or perhaps at a spiritual low ebb in their life. And sometimes it's just as risky for us to make such a decision when we're at the top of our game, so it seems, or the Lord is blessing and the Lord is prospering and things seem to be going good. Even then, it's not time for us to change and to alter and to adjust things. But if we're going to continue to have the blessing of God and the favor of God upon our life, we've got to continue to be faithful. Why would I want to change something if God is blessing me and God is favoring me in that and God has been good to me? I remember talking to somebody years ago that had made me aware of the fact that they were going to backslide. They were going to walk away from the church. And I said, hold on just a minute. Let me ask you a question. Since you've been in the church, have you noticed that your life has improved? Have you noticed that things have been better for you? And he said, certainly, I cannot argue that. When I came to God, I didn't have a good job. Now I got a good job. I was not married, and God gave me a wife and a family, everything that I prayed for. God has blessed me with it. I cannot argue the fact, Brother Calhoun, that, that God has, has been good to me, and God has blessed me, and God has given me everything that I've really wanted in life and asked for, but you know, there's some things that I've observed that are really not necessary, and I'm not wanting to necessarily walk away from God completely, but I, I just am not so sure that it requires all of this. And I said, that may be true, and suppose that it is. I don't believe that it is, but let's just suppose for a moment that it is. Why, if God has blessed you thus far, and if God has given you all of these things that you've enumerated, and God has been so good to you to this point, why would you want to adjust anything now? You know this works. You know that God honors this. You know that God blesses this. You know that God will, will honor these things. Why would you want to make any type of adjustment at this point in your life if you know for sure that God can bless this. Saul was winning the battle. Things were going good. He was prospering in the battle, if I could say it that way. And that's when he came to this conclusion. That's when he began to alter and change God's command. He was winning the battle, and he looked, and he saw King Agag, and he said, that'd be a nice trophy to take home with me. And he saw the the best of the sheep and the best of the cattle and the oxen. And he said, that would make good sacrifice. Why would we have to take from our good flocks and offer those sacrifices unto God? We could take from the enemy's flock. But you see, that was not God, what God wanted. He doesn't want something that you take from somebody else. He wants your commitment. He wants your consecration. He wants, he wants it to come from your heart. He wants your worship to come from your innermost being. He doesn't want worship that is a substitute. He doesn't want somebody else's lamb to be offered. He wants your lamb to be offered. He wants your sacrifice, Saul. So Saul didn't realize that to change God's directive is a recipe for disaster. And when he returned and Samuel came to meet him before Samuel could even say a word of Rebuke or even ask him anything about whether or not he'd been obedient. Evidently, Saul already had a guilty conscience because before he was asked a question regarding the battle, he says, Blessed be thou the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I, I want you to know, preacher, I've done everything you've asked, everything that God told you to tell me, I've done it. Samuel simply replied, What meaneth this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen? And then he rebukes Saul by saying, When thou wast little in thy own sight, and wast, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? 
Saul's trouble began when he became so big and so blessed and so prospered that he actually thought that God would make exceptions for him. I'm going to tell you, we all face that. I said everybody's going to be challenged with this. You, you can think because of your tenure and because you've been in the church all of your life or because you have so many gifts that you can bring to the table that God's going to make some kind of exception for you. God help us when we think that God will make exceptions for us based on our gifts, based on our talents, based on how much we give, based on what we have to offer or how long that we've been a part of the church or our tenure in living for God is some way going to make an exception for us. Samuel said when you were little in your own sight, God blessed you. God favored you. God was good to you. God answered your prayers. God anointed you to be victorious in the battles that you fought. But that anointing is lifted now because you've gotten big. You thought it was you. You thought you could do it. You thought that you could make exceptions. Or God would exempt you from what He requires everybody else. Samuel continues to explain away the fact that he was not fully obedient and why he was not fully obedient. He said the people, the people took these sheep. And, and the people took these oxen and listen to this he said to sacrifice unto the Lord isn't it interesting when folks try to make disobedience to God sound spiritual well God gave me this revelation God gave me this revelation that this is not really going to be required of me you know I got to study and I got to talking to some folks and I, I believe God spoke to me you know what? I've searched this book through and through, and I've never found where God spoke to people about doing less. That's just been my own personal observation. I've studied this Bible and read it over and over and some portions of it probably hundreds of times. And I've never found in God's Word where God said, Okay, you know, you guys have been pretty consecrated for all these years. I think I'm going to let up on you. Kind of like that old brother in that church that up there in New Brunswick, Canada, where uh, Brother Don Stewart was going to church. Uh, I forget his name, but he got up. Uh, maybe his name was George or something. I don't remember exactly, but he got up, and he would always begin. He would always begin his, uh, his uh, testimony with, Well, glory. Amen. Some of you heard me tell this before. He said, well, glory. He said, God spoke to me today. He said, you don't have many pleasures in life. I believe I'll let you smoke. Well, I'm going to tell you, God didn't speak that to him. God never told him that. But we can get to thinking we're so spiritual that God's going to let us by with a few things, that God's going to change and make some exemptions in some areas. It doesn't necessarily happen like that. And Samuel is in heaven, and he said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. More than your sacrifice, more than what you give to God, maybe more than all these talents that you have to offer God, and maybe more than all of these things that you bring to the table. He said, I'm going to tell you, God's not nearly impressed with that as he is you just being obedient to his voice to obey is better so God's demands are not those of an unfair tyrant but his minimum is obedience obedience any employer or firm that you've ever worked for has many minimum requirements if you're late for work so many times you get written up you're written up so many times and you get time off or loss of pay uh, there's uh, some type of consequences for that kind of behavior there's minimum requirements Saul God wants you to know he can't be bought no matter how you frame it you can say that you were going to give these unto the Lord you were going to sacrifice these best of the flocks and best of the herds unto God but God's 
not asking for that. He's asking for your obedience to Him. He wants to know, are you willing to obey His voice? We find in the book of Hebrews that God spoke and said, if any man would hear my voice and harden not his heart as in the day of the provocation. God wants to know when He speaks in a service just like this or any other time. When God speaks through His messenger, what's our response going to be? Are we going to receive it? Are we going to respond accordingly? Saul thought that he had been obedient because he had done most things right. He had done most things that God had asked. He explained how that he had slew basically the whole nation, save, he said, Agag. He explained how he had slew the majority of the sleep and the sheep and cattle, save the very best but God said I'm not interested in 90% I'm not interested in even 99% I want to know that you were completely obedient unto me obedience is better obedience is better I read a story about a a boy that was in a children's hospital and he was a patient there and evidently he still had enough strength to be an honorary little boy and he was wrecking havoc with all of the hospital staff the nurses and the doctors they couldn't do much with him they was trying to control him and finally one of the nurses came up with the idea that maybe we can give him an incentive we just give him an incentive he'll behave himself you know and so this many years ago this probably wouldn't work today but she said you know boy if you'll be good all this week when Friday comes I'll give you a dime that wouldn't be much of an incentive nowadays. Kids nowadays, they want 20s and maybe more than that. They're into Benjamin Franklin, if you know what I'm talking about. And so she said, I'll give you a dime at the end of the week. So the end of the week came. She walked up to his bedside. She said, I'm not going to ask the nurses and the doctors how you behave this week. She said, I'm just going to let you tell me. Do you deserve the dime? And after a long pause, he said, you better give me a penny. That's the way a lot of folks are in their relationship with God. I I didn't do everything, but I did do some things, and so I deserve a little bit. But that's not how it works for God. It's not going to be purgatory. It's It's either heaven or it's hell, isn't it? It's either right or it's wrong. I don't find any in between. It's, a, it's either a path that leads to destruction or a narrow road that leads to everlasting life. I read that there's two types of sheep. There's two roads to walk. There's two doors to be opened. Amen. There's two lifestyles that a person can live. You're either fully obedient or in God's book you're in rebellion. That's all there is to it. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked how that he could inherit eternal life. And Jesus recited a number of the commandments. And he proudly, proudly looked at Jesus and said, All of these have I kept from my youth up. I, I remember story about a businessman from Boston that was a very prideful and arrogant man and always boasted that he could get anything he wanted done when it came to business in the city of Boston. And Mark Twain read where he he met him one time and in their course of conversation he told him that he was going to make, this businessman was going to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land and He said, when I get there, he said, I'm going to climb way up on top of Mount Sinai. And he said, I'm going to quote the Ten Commandments to the top of my lungs. And unimpressed, Mark Twain said, why don't you just stay in Boston and keep them? Praise God. Now, when Jesus heard these things, he wasn't impressed with that young, rich young ruler. He said, there is one thing that thou lackest one thing that you haven't fulfilled there's one thing yet for you to do you may have a thousand things right Saul but if you just got one area 
one man Agag, a few of the best of the herds and the best of the flocks, then all of your obedience doesn't make up for one area of disobedience. Somebody said the devil's in the details. I beg to differ with you. God's in the details. I said God's in the details. God understands firsthand the importance of obedience in our lives because he imposed it upon himself as our example. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8 says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. I lived in Hawaii for some time when I was younger. My parents, of course, lived there off and on for many years. And on the island of Molokai, which is one of the less inhabited islands, and many of the tourists never go there, my dad has visited there several times, and he told me about, and it's not that far from the island of Oahu, the one that you fly into majority of the time, Honolulu, is there. And from, if you used to climb up on Diamond Head, you would be able to, to look out on a clear day and you could see the silhouette or the outline of Molokai, which is an island next door. It's just maybe nine miles away. And, um, or something of the sort. I can't remember exactly the details of how far it was away, but it, it's very, very close or the, the, the one that's the closest. And on that island, back when leprosy was quite a problem, this is where they would banish all the lepers and they had a leper colony there. And uh, there was a missionary by the name of Joseph Damon, I believe his name was. And uh, he ministered there at that leper colony. And he was not able to be just super effective with these people. He was regarded, as you might surmise, as being an outsider. They didn't feel like he could really relate to them. But one day he was pouring himself a cup of tea one morning and as he turned around the cup of tea sloshed over on his foot and it was extremely hot he knew from preparing it that it was almost at a boil and when it fell on his bare foot on the top of it he couldn't feel any pain he didn't have any sensation of pain and it concerned him so much that he took a little bit more and he poured it on the same area and he noticed that though his skin grew red and could be seen that he was physically burned by the water. He still didn't feel it, and so he knew immediately that he had contracted this disease of leprosy. And so that morning, as was his custom, he went out to hold the chapel service. And always in the past, he would say, Good morning, my fellow believers. That was his traditional way of greeting them. But when he stepped out to address them this particular morning, he said, Good morning, my fellow lepers. Philippians 2 and 7 says, But he made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being fashioned as a man, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. My Bible says in the book of Hebrews that he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He knew what it was to feel the pains, the sorrows, the suffering of being a common man. He robed himself in flesh. He knows the feelings of our infirmities. He knew and could identify with what we're going through. He himself learned obedience. He understands the value of obedience. That's why he can require of us. He is our best example that obedience is better. People will not go to heaven because they're good. And people will not go to hell just because they're bad. But your eternity will be based upon your response to the gospel. The fact is that there's a lot of people in hell that are good people. There's a lot of people that are 
tormenting the flames of hell, even as I speak tonight, that were praying people, that were church-going people, that were Bible-reading people. But you'll not go to heaven because you're good. You won't go to hell necessarily just because you're bad. Because you don't go to heaven just for your good deeds. You go to heaven because you're obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you don't go to hell necessarily just because of your badness or how bad you are. You go to hell because you refuse to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's based on your response to the gospel. Anybody believe that tonight? It's based on you not just saying what you believe, but actually being obedient. we got a lot of folks that say, you know, if I was going to be anything, I'd be a Pentecost. How many has ever heard backsliders say that? If I'm, a, if I'm ever going to be anything, I'm going to be apostolic. And I used to kind of smile and say, yeah, I believe that. But now after really considering it, I said, no, I don't know. I don't know if I believe that because if you really believe what this Bible says, you'd be about doing it. I said you'd be about doing it. You don't go to hell just because you're bad. You don't go to heaven just because you're good. Because my grandmother was an outstanding woman. I don't know of a person without the Holy Ghost as kind as my mother. I know... A lot of people with the Holy Ghost not as kind as my grandmother. Gentle, loving, forgiving, always self-sacrificing. Loved her children, her grandchildren more than her own. Preferred them above herself. It pains me even now to say it. But if this Bible's right, my grandmother whom I love is lost without God because she never obeyed. She never was baptized in Jesus' name. She never was filled with the Holy Ghost because she was never obedient. I can't say that she was saved. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17 says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first began at us, what shall the end be? of them that obey not the gospel of God. He is referring to them that obey not the gospel. I would imagine on any given night in this city, not just Friday and Saturday night, but on any given night in this city, there's a whole lot of sinning going on. I read about it in the newspaper, the stealing, the robbery, the immoral activity, the drunkenness, People taking drugs. People taking one another's lives. But the most tragic sin that's committed in this city, surprisingly, is not those things. The most awful sin probably takes place not on Friday and Saturday, but takes place on Sunday at a church when the gospel is presented when the gospel is preached and somebody does not respond appropriately. Somebody's disobedient to it. Somebody walks out and does not respond appropriately to the gospel that's been preached to them. I'm telling you, to obey is better. How we respond to the message really does matter. For Israel, the response to the message meant exodus or exile. You know, you read over there in the book of Exodus when the message through Moses was given to them, they were very careful to follow it to the very minute detail to do everything correctly that God had spoken to them to do. And we talked about it earlier in this lesson tonight, how that they followed exactly the pattern that Moses gave to them when it came to where the blood was to be applied and what they were to do. They were to completely eat the lamb, not leave any of it left over. They were to make themselves ready with their staff in their hand to, to leave, their sandals on their feet, their loins girded, 
clothed, ready to go at God's command. And God told them to do each one of these things, and they followed it exactly. But after the law was given, Israel began to prosper. They began to be blessed. They found it more challenging to adhere to the voice of God and the message. They began to question God's command, His law concerning certain things. We, we can't keep the Sabbath. We got too much land. We got too much cattle and sheep and vineyards and upkeep on this place. We, we, can't, we can't afford to take a day off like that. We can't afford to keep the Sabbath. Never mind that they didn't have any of these things before God had prospered them, before God had blessed them. They didn't have a barn. They didn't have a vineyard. They didn't have sheep. They didn't have cattle. Have any of these things. Why give our best lamb to God as a sacrifice? Why would we do that? We could keep him for our own breeding stock, or we, we could get so much more for him if we were to sell him. Why not give the runt? Why not give the one with the blemish? Why not give the one that's sickly, going to die anyway? They begin to question these things. We can't afford to give away our servants every seven, six years, after six years of working, on the seventh year, give them away. Well, we can't afford to do that. It's not even logical. And it seems that God was patient and God was kind and God was merciful and He sent preacher and prophet to endeavor to reach them and to change their mind about things. Somebody said maybe it was not the message. Perhaps it was just the messenger they had a problem with. And so we see that God didn't use just one type of messenger. We see that problem still today, don't we? People, if they got a problem with the message, they're going to blame the messenger. They're going to blame the preacher. It's the preacher that's got a problem. No, it's, it's you being obedient to the message. That's where the problem lies. So God sent them Isaiah, who was educated. He was a silver-tongued orator. I mean, this man could speak eloquently, and they didn't hear him. And he sent them Ezekiel, who was super spiritual, seeing visions, and God was showing him things that had not been revealed to anybody else, and they wouldn't hear him. So God sent them someone that was emotional, like Jeremiah, who was one that wept and had a burden it was easy to show those emotions before the people, and they wouldn't hear him. God sent them Hosea, and they didn't care for his wife. God gave them Amos. He was a country boy, maybe had country vernacular. Maybe he'll relate to them, and they didn't hear him. Let me say this, when folks don't want to do right, it doesn't matter what or who the messenger is. When they don't want to do right, they'll find fault wherever they can find fault. To obey is better. And so finally, finally because of their disobedience to the message, they're carried away into Babylon for 70 years of captivity folks, it's easy to see that obedience is better. Peter said we ought to obey God. I'm going to tell you that's still, after 2,000 years, that's still the best advice. We ought to obey God and His Word. Can somebody say praise the Lord? Disobedience leaves in its path a lot of missed opportunities leaves in its wake a lot of missed blessings. There are a lot of things that we get many chances and many opportunities and we can redo and we can have another chance at it. But there's some things, I'll be honest with you, we only get one chance, one time around, one opportunity at it. There are a lot of things that we would like to go back and we would like to redo. And this is why I spend so much time as the pastor uh, teaching and preaching and so much of my preaching time is given to making right decisions and right choices especially when it comes to young people I look at 
these young people were here that we dismissed tonight to their classes, and there's no way that they could possibly get their mind around or possibly grasp the magnitude of their decisions and their choices. This even applies to young couples. Choices that we make and decisions, because when you when you're young, you're forging out trails and paths and blazing trails that you're going to walk all of your life. And it's hard to imagine how that one decision can set in order a chain of events that is irrevocable sometimes. But there are some things that we only get one opportunity at, only one chance, only one one crossroads that we come to, if I could say it that way. And it's important that we make the right decision. We see this played out in Numbers chapter 20. God told Moses to speak to the rock. And he was frustrated about the people and how they were responding to him and their murmuring and their complaining. And and in his frustration, he didn't speak to the rock. He smote it. And as a result, God said, because of what you did in the eyes of the people, he said, you'll not go with me. There'll, there'll be folks that'll go to the promised land, but you'll not be one of them. And probably the man out of all of them was the most deserving and the most worthy. The man out of all of them that had been through the most and that was the closest to God. This is the man that had received the commandments of God written on the tablets with God's own finger. This was the man that wrote the Pentateuch. This is the man that uh, got the tabernacle plan given to him in detail. This is a man that stood in the presence of God many times. This is a man that the Lord passed by him and he was able to see the afterglow of God's presence. And God said, because of this one thing, he said, you're not going. And he was locked out of Canaan's land because of one moment of disobedience. I'm going to tell you, Obedience is always better. Don't allow yourself to get in a tight. Don't allow yourself to get in a situation. Don't allow yourself to get in such dire straits that you make a hasty decision that you'll have to live with for the rest of your life. I'm thinking of a man in Scripture that made a decision in the face of incredible circumstance. He decided that to obey is better the jealous contemporaries that were in the king's court, the court of Darius the king of Persia, convinced him to sign a decree that would prohibit all prayer other than, and all worship other than what would go to the king. But when the pressure was mounting, and when the decree had came down by the Medes and the Persians and could not be changed. No matter what the consequences were, Daniel decided. Daniel had already settled the issue that I'm not going to change, I'm not going to alter things now. And he opened his windows eastward towards Jerusalem and he prayed just like he had always prayed because obedience is better. And when he was thrown in the lion's den because he had been obedient to God rather than man, God kept him and the angel of the Lord came and sealed the mouth of those lions. And when King Darius came the next morning, he'd had a fitful night of insomnia. He he couldn't sleep because he just knew that nothing was going to be left but the skeletal remains of Daniel. But when they opened the mouth of that den and he cried out to him Daniel oh Daniel servant of the living God is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions Daniel's reply was resounding and it was immediate he said oh king live forever I'm going to tell you if you've been obedient when circumstances are out of your hands and out of your control and you, you can't manipulate the situation you can't do anything When you've been obedient to God, God will help you through them. Can I just say in the Holy Ghost tonight, maybe there's somebody here that I'm preaching to that you've not came to that point in life. 
But I'm telling you, in days ahead, you just remember that if you've been obedient to God, you'll have that confidence before God that you need when you go to prayer and you pray about the circumstances of your life. You'll know, God, I've endeavored to be obedient to you. I've, ob- I've obeyed and walked with you. I've obeyed your word. And God, your word tells me that you're going to keep me when troublesome times come. You're going to be there for me. You're going to help me through them all. I'm going to tell you, when you get there, it's nice to know that I made the right choice. I made the right decision. And and sometimes it may seem like the easy road, the easy way, and the less resistant way would be to disobey. But hold on to your faith and integrity and stand before God and say, I'm going to be obedient to you. We ought to obey God rather than men. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus came upon these fishermen on the seaside. Simon, Peter, and his brother Andrew. And then in that same setting, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And when he came upon Simon and Andrew, he said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. The Bible says that straightway, they left their nets and followed him. And then just a few verses or a verse later it says that when he spoke these same words to James and John, there was that same immediate reaction in verse 22. They immediately left the ship and their father, and that's very telling, and followed him. I mean, this is what they were. When it says and their father, this was a family business. This is what their father had done, their grandfather had done, their great-grandfather had done. They'd all been fishermen. And yet the call of Jesus was so compelling. It was so powerful. They said, we're willing to drop everything and we're willing to leave. We're willing to leave all of these securities and be obedient to God. And now their names is written in the foundation of heaven. I'm telling you, obedience is better. Obedience is better. It's noteworthy in Acts 26 chapter when Paul stood before Agrippa and gave his moving testimony of how that he was not always a Christian. In fact, he had been one that had been a persecutor of the church. He was very passionate about it. He had stood and held the coats of those men that stoned Stephen. He was very passionate about it. He he had documents in his possession when he headed down to Damascus to persecute more Christians. And while he was riding on a beast of burden, the Lord spoke to him out of the heavens and he saw a bright light that blinded him. And the voice spoke to him. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. It's hard for you to to keep on against the will of God. And he said, Unto the Lord, what would thou have me to do? This man that had been so prideful, this man that had been so resistant, this man that had been so headstrong to do the opposite of the will of God suddenly says what will you have me to do I give in I surrender he said I want you to get up where you are and have these men lead you down to Ananias' house and he's going to show you what you need to do and Ananias preached to him the gospel and Paul was obedient not only was Paul obedient Ananias was obedient can you imagine the biggest persecutor of the apostolic church and the Lord speaks to you and says that's going to be the man you're going to baptize he's going to be your convert I want you to be kind to him now when he gets to your house he comes knocking on your house you're, you're, trying, to, you're trying to hold on to your faith as your knees are smoting once again, one against another you, when you open that door you're hoping that you heard from God and it just wasn't the result of late night pizza because Paul is a bad dude. And straightway the Bible says that he took him and baptized him. 
he was converted. But notice the words that Paul spoke to King Agrippa about this heavenly vision that he got from God. He said, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. I didn't disobey. When God spoke to me, I had sense enough to know this is God speaking. I had sense enough to know I better be obedient to what God is saying. I'm not going to fight or resist God. Think about the impact of this one decision for the Gentile nation because of Paul's obedience. Because Paul said, as a self-will determined as I was to go against the church and these Christians, I was passionate about annihilating the apostolic church. Yet, I can clearly see that when God spoke to me that obedience is better. One man's obedience, Paul's obedience, impacted an entire nation of people. Romans 5 and 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. I understand the context of this scripture, but I'm going to tell you this concept still works with you and I here today. I said it still works with I. I know, I know it was talking about Adam and his disobedience that brought the influence of sin into the world and how that that second man, Adam, was obedient to death and it made right the disobedience of the first man. I understand all that. But I'm going to tell you, this gives us a little bit of the insight of just how powerful obedience can be and how that it can bless our lives if we'll be obedient to God. I want to be obedient. Simon Peter said, we ought to obey God. I'm going to tell you, that's still good advice for us today. God's speaking to you talking to you as he does with all of us if you got the Holy Ghost God can talk to you God he better talk to you in this world we're living in you better you better have some sensitivity to the Holy Ghost to direct you in the decisions that you make and the choices that you make and the paths that you trod and the things that you allow yourself to get engaged in. If the Holy Ghost puts up a yield sign, you better yield. If the Holy Ghost puts up a stop sign, you better stop. If the Holy Ghost forbades something in your life, you better listen. You better have an ear that can hear the voice of God. And as Paul said to Agrippa, I was not disobedient to this heavenly vision. When heaven speaks to you, don't be disobedient. God's talking to you about something in your life. Don't disobey. Don't shrug it off. Don't say, well, that, that this might be me. Say, God, if you're speaking to me, say just like Samuel did. God, if you're speaking to me, your servant hears. God, open up and talk to me because I know I need to hear from you living in this world we're living in. Would you stand with me right now and lift up your hands to God and let's praise Him together? Come on, let's thank the Lord together. Let's praise the Lord together. Let's magnify God for a few moments here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, would you praise the Lord? Would you magnify Him right now? Thank you, Jesus. To obey is better. God, I'm going to comply to your commands. I'm going to do your will. I'm not going to resist your will, your word. God, speak to my heart. Help me to have an ear that can hear the preaching of the word of God. Help me to have a spirit that is open to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We've all been blessed by being obedient initially to God we got the Holy Ghost we got our sins remitted forgiven amen we got in this thing by being obedient didn't we I'm going to tell you we're going to stay in it by being obedient to God too hallelujah we've come too far church we've been in this thing too long we'll start questioning God now I'm going to keep on keeping on praise the Lord I'm not turning back neither looking to the left nor the right 
My foot's on the rock and my mind's made up. Praise the Lord. Why don't you clap your hands to him and give him praise. Praise God. Praise God. I know I wasn't swinging you from the chandeliers tonight and wasn't screaming and hollering a whole big bunch. But you know what? I'm getting older. Amen. I'm getting older. I don't know if I got the lung capacity to do that three nights a week anymore. So you guys are just going to have to get spiritual. Amen. You're going to have to hear the word of the Lord and a good talking voice. Praise God. Amen. Is that okay? We need to hear good teaching anyway. We don't have to be hopping pews to know that we heard from God. Praise God. God bless you tonight. Let's remember this weekend. Let's also remember outreach on Saturday, 10 a.m., uh, you ladies, get involved in this tea party. Join on and uh, have a good time of fellowship. Bring somebody with you. I think the deal's out there for you to sign up tonight. God bless you in Jesus' name is our prayer.